This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. Hello and welcome to the first ever episode 38 of the Best Seeds Podcast, the only podcast bringing you interviews with some of the most talented folks from the Southern California hospitality industry and beyond each and every episode. I'm your host, Croft McCarthy, founder of The Best Seeds. Thank you, as always, to Allie Quill for providing new music for the show. You can find more of her work at AllieQuillMusic.com. Spotify, iTunes, etc. She just released a new single a couple days or weeks ago, depending on when you're listening to this episode. So go check it out and support her family's three restaurants here. If you live in Orange County, Fable and Spirit over in Newport Beach, Wineworks and Dublin for Gastropub over in Mission Viejo. Um, as a reminder, if you enjoy the show, please be sure to leave a rating and or a review wherever you're listening to it on free feeds. It helps other folks discover it. It spreads the good word. And if nothing else, it gives me solid feedback on what I can fix, do better, or if I don't like it, just ignore. Because <laughs> this is a dictatorship, so we're going to do that. I am so excited for episode 38. Um, this is one that I got on the books basically kind of as soon as the new year started. I have been following this person on social media for a while. I'm obsessed with her feed. And after meeting her, I just want to talk to her all day long about her and what she does. And I hope that you are going to feel the exact same way after you hear this episode. My guest for this episode is Ashley Irene, owner of Heirloom Potage. That is such a fun word to say, Potage. Go ahead. I'll wait real quick. Say it wherever you're listening, in your car, at your office, which is probably at your house because we're still in a pandemic. Anywhere. One, two, three. See? Isn't that fun to say? Ashley is absolutely awesome. Basically, what she does is she is a gardening consultant, but she doesn't set up flowers and succulents and things like that that we all kind of who are not gardening people tell ourselves that we won't kill and probably inevitably end up killing. She is a chef's garden consultant. So she sets up basically <laughs> the nicest way to say it is every time you or I or, you know, food muggles, people who have no business really kind of cooking and being around food buy that basil plant from Trader Joe's and three hours later it's dead. She's here to help you fix that. Um, basically, you reach out to Ashley, whether you're a chef, whether you are just a stay at home person, doesn't matter who you are. She will work with you, see your space as you're going to hear in the episode, and she will set up to help you grow whatever you want. But it's not just what you're going to grow. It's also the varietal of what you're going to grow. You know, at some point in this podcast, I think we talk about tomatoes and she's growing, you know, these multitudes of different types of tomatoes. So if you're a chef listening to this, you should already be excited. I know that she's working with a couple chefs in the area. Um, obviously, times are tough right now, but when things get back to quote unquote normal, um, if that's something that interests you, please reach out to her. You're going to hear in this episode, just her passion is purely infectious. She's an absolutely awesome human being. She was nice enough to invite me up to her home in Santa Ana um, at this beautiful showcase garden that she has. When this episode goes live on free feeds, I'll put some photos up when it goes live to Patreons, Patreon supporters. Um, 
on Fridays. When it hits free feeds the next Wednesday, as a reminder, you can get early ad-free access over at patreon.com slash the best seats. Um, I'll throw up some pictures of her showcase garden. And obviously, once you hear this episode, you'll be able to follow her on Instagram if you're not already. Um, everything she does is just awesome. She let me pet her dogs. That's a huge win. Um, <laughs> she gave me one of the salad bowls, which you will find on her social media or if you consult with her. Um, there's really nothing like eating food that you've grown yourself. And to be able to do that, whether it's in a restaurant, if you're a chef and you want to be growing some of your own ingredients, whether they're garnishes, cocktail garnishes, salad stuff, vegetables, she can work with you to do that. Whether you're at home, she could work with you to do that. And it's absolutely something that we should all be doing. Number one, because food that you grow yourself is just better. And number two, we're all stuck at home because it's still a goddamn pandemic. So what the hell else are you going to do? <laughs> you might as well do something productive. You're not going to rewatch Tiger King for the 90th time. So let's do something better. Let's grow some good food. But I'm going to let the expert talk to you about it. I'm going to let you hear for yourself from episode 38 of the Best Seats podcast. My guest, the incredible Ashley Irene heirloom potage enjoy ashley thank you so much for having me up to your beautiful showcase garden up in santa Ana. for those that may not be familiar with you or your work or kind of what you do would you mind introducing yourself and giving your background a little bit absolutely thank you so much for having me and you're welcome anytime obviously this is a garden designed essentially for entertaining and for showing people love through food and gardening and enjoying each other's company. So I'm Ashley Irene. I own a company called Heirloom Potager and we design culinary gardens for chefs, for homeowners, and for pretty much anybody who loves food. We figured out some great ways to create kind of small space container gardens for people as well. And this is just Luckily for me, this is my, this is exactly what I was meant to do. This is my way of participating kind of in the culinary world. Um, and hopefully either in my previous life or in my next life, I will be an actual chef. But for now, this is my way of being involved. So obviously one of the things that we kind of do for this show, for anybody who's been listening or has recently started listening or listening from the beginning, uh, it's always been kind of chefs restaurateurs, bartenders, distillery masters, things like that. It's always kind of hospitality experts and everybody who's kind of hospitality adjacent. Um, I would very much consider what you do hospitality adjacent, but in kind of the best way possible, um, especially we're recording this, you know, what for a second week, 2021, um, depending on when you're listening to it. If you don't have any aspect of hospitality without food. So being able to have someone like you on the show is great to kind of have and continue to further that understanding of where food comes from, understanding what we eat, how we eat it, and how we grow it. How did you come to do this, basically? How did you fall into this as a profession, and where did kind of the entire job come from? This is a culmination of my entire kind of childhood growing up on my grandparents' farm in Wisconsin. My grandparents owned a 40-acre farm in central Wisconsin, and I was always gardening with my grandmother. So I was always, you know, she was teaching me about seed saving. She was teaching me about what was in season. She was helping me, you know, understand when things were ready to harvest. And so ever since I was young, I've been trying to grow things. I even realized that you know, my first apartment outside of college, I was trying to grow orchids because I couldn't grow anything else because I didn't have any actual outdoor space. So I've always been growing something. And 
once I finally had a space where I could grow food, I've always been interested in it. And the part of where Heirloom Potage has come from is entirely from my love of food. It's how I show love. That's my love language is, is making and entertaining food for people. But also the history. So part of our name is is heirlooms. I am fascinated by heirlooms and by the food of kind of our ancestors and our and and so much of that has been lost. That heirloom potage is kind of this resurgence. It's it's my gift. It's my way to help people start to reconnect with that and really start to get excited about food. It's also about encouraging people to exactly like you mentioned grow things and know where it's coming from, I think there's a whole new appreciation for food when you start to understand how long it takes to get to your plate. Because for us, food comes from the grocery store, right? So if we're craving, uh, you know, some amazing exotic salad or we're craving roasted cauliflower, we go to the store and we buy it. We don't think about the fact that somebody had been growing that for 90 to, you know, in some cases, like 200 days. And that's a lot of time. And so we have lost touch of that connection with where our food comes from and the hands and how understanding how it grows. And, and also we've lost the flavor profiles of when food is at its freshest, right? I have had a couple of, had a lot of people talk to me about tomatoes. They're one of my favorite things to grow. And they have never had a tomato fresh off the vine. And that sweetness or that acidity is completely lost on us on a tomato that's typically found at the grocery store. And so it's something that's as simple as that that I absolutely love being able to bring back to people to get them excited about food in a completely different way. I've been a big proponent for a long time of speaking to kind of restaurants specifically and the aspect of food getting to the table there that menus are a little bit too big. Uh, food costs can be a little bit too high. It's obviously something that all restaurants deal with, but there's a lack of understanding from consumers. And it's kind of that level of expecting everything to be available to you at all times. There's a lack of an understanding about seasonality. You know, they, they kind of walk into a place and they're like, Oh, well it's, you know, dinner in July. I'm feeling like foie gras. You know, that makes sense at Christmas. In July, it's stupid. So, but it, the same thing with vegetables and the seasonality of them and the way that they grow, it's, it's widely lost on consumers. And I'm wondering if part of it could be the California climate, the fact that we're sitting outside recording a podcast and it's 70 degrees in January, whereas, you know, a nor'easter just took out basically North Carolina up. Is there, what, what, aside from just building the planters, which I want to get to and I want to talk about the business proper, philosophically speaking, how much of this is about educating people on kind of that ever-changing biodynamics of food? Absolutely. And so for me, I, again, part of this is I love history. Um, you know, some of my favorite, favorite kind of people are people who have this love and appreciation for history. And so many of them, I think there's so many new people in culin like in the culinary world, so many chefs, so many restaurateurs who really want to bring that historic element back but they want to bring back like the best parts and also kind of right the ship so to speak so we I mean we've talked a little bit about this too the idea of, of food culture in America is really muddied right it's really blurry there really isn't a clear definition and 
I think a huge part of that is exactly what you said. It's the loss of understanding where our food comes from, how it's grown, um, the idea of seasonality. So that's, again, that's part of my, why I ended up choosing the name potager, because a potager, yes, is the French term for a, a kitchen garden, but it's also more than that. It's a return to eating seasonally. And so I even try to encourage all of the people that I work with, whether it be chefs or homeowners or just you know students who are interested in learning more, I try to help them understand the seasons of growing. So much of also of what we have been taught is really industry focused. So like you mentioned, you know, it's really heavily focused on, you know, like when's the best time to grow soybeans? When's the best time to grow wheat or rye? Those aren't things that a home grower or even a, you know, a chef is really going to grow without the proper space, but they can actually grow so much more and such variety that excites the palate, but also, you know, educates people. So a huge part of what I'm doing is trying to help people get excited about things that they've never had before and then help them understand when and how long they can grow it. So as an example, like you said, even just in the U.S. here, the juxtaposition between northern what could be growing in northern California and southern California is huge. Right now is salad season. We don't think traditionally winter is a salad season, right? But this is the best time for us in Southern California to grow salads. So you can see in our showcase garden, we have tons of different greens growing. And that's all based on the fact that that's what the weather is supporting for us. And so as we start to get a little bit warmer, we can also grow new varieties or we can start, you know, we can start putting in some of those warm season crops. So a huge part of what I like to do is helping people know more because when you know more you can do more so i want to touch on the restaurant side of things and working with local chefs in a second but i want to stick with the people at home obviously we are unfortunately still in the middle of a pandemic i hate that i have to keep saying that what it feels like every single freaking episode even though it's been every episode Um, But one of the things that I noticed when we were kind of first on our first lockdown, you know, not the current remake that we're in now, is everybody started maybe, you know, regrowing things from stems, regrowing lettuce, regrowing green onions, things like that. People kind of started to get into, you know, apartment gardens, a little bit of here, growing herbs, things like that. Um, Obviously, every single episode, I put the option up for people over on patreon.com slash the best seeds to submit questions for guests. And I got a bunch of questions for this one. And basically... I kind of compiled them all into one. Basically, the universal question was, hey, I keep buying, you know, we'll just say basil at Trader Joe's and it's dead within 18 seconds. What are, without kind of giving away a free consulting lesson, what would be kind of some of your tips or recommendations for people at home who do want to start to pursue even just growing a little bit of something? Absolutely. That's a great question. And unfortunately, I get the basil question all the time. Basil. (laughs) So the basil you're getting at Trader Joe's is perfect the day you bring it home, probably the day after. And then it starts to get fickle because unfortunately, basil is a little bit of a fickle plant. Um, It actually really thrives in warm weather. And so while even 70s feel warm to us, 70s is kind of like the lower end threshold of what basil feels comfortable in. Basil thrives in 85 degree weather. That's why it's actually a perfect summer herb for us. But I always encourage people to start with herbs, maybe not basil. Start with your our more perennial herbs. So start with thyme, start with oregano, start with rosemary. 
those are things also then start to figure out how you like to use them. So they, they have kind of similar flavor profiles, but there's a lot of variation. So even in my garden, I have, I think, about five or six different versions of thyme because each one has a little bit of a different flavor profile, right? We have two or three different types of, of oregano. And so, again, going back to your question about like the education, that is really important for me is to also not only help people get comfortable growing whatever it is that they're hopeful for so if we start with herbs and you start to see the success that then we add in you know two or three different versions of time and then we'll add in a little bit different oregano and so I really enjoy finding and growing those kind of unusual herbs or unusual varieties of plants that people are not familiar with so that they you up that excitement factor so when you grow those tomatoes that you've never heard of you're that much more excited about them and you also I think tend to take care of it more as well right you're excited because you want to make sure that it, it, you you get what you're going to get at the end of, of this process um, so I usually recommend that people start with herbs and then move on to greens and lettuces those are again those are things that are a little bit more forgiving and then from there grow on to what we actually call what are known as vegetables, but are actually mostly fruiting varieties. So like your tomatoes, your eggplants, your tomatillos, your cauliflower and broccoli. Those are actually all flowering varieties um, and, and, and they create that fruit. Um, but they're a little bit more advanced. They have a little bit more issues that can come into play. But there's a lot of different tips and techniques that we teach our clients on how to mitigate, you know, pests, how to mitigate, you know, how to do everything that you can organically so that we don't have a huge infestation. So that was going to be kind of the follow-up to this is, and this is kind of a two-part question for it. A, I'm somebody listening to this episode when it premieres. I'm really fascinated. I want to do this 2021, new year, new me, you know, and, and there really is nothing like eating food that you've grown yourself. How do someone, like, how would someone kind of get in contact with you and what is the process? But also B, Everybody's being asked to do so much nowadays, whether it's, hey, I have to be a work from home. I have to be a teacher. I have to be, you know, a daycare attendant. I have to be a PE teacher. I have to be all, I have to be home cook. I have to be all these things. There's a time management thing. Yeah, I should mention if you're hearing in the background, there's two, <laughs> two beautiful Dalmatians that are making their voices heard. And if that bothers you, then sign off because dogs rule and we're here to stay for yes. it. Um, but what's the time management factor like? Because if it, I think people get a little scared of it. Like, ooh, I don't have a lot of free time to be a farmer all of a sudden. So what would your process be working with a new client? And then how do you mitigate kind of the, the time necessity of it? Absolutely. So gardens do take time. I'm not going to shy away and be like, oh, you can totally get around it. You know, you set it up and it's, it's all set to go. They definitely do need to be kind of checked out and looked at every day. But our goal is to build a beautiful space for you that you actually want to go into and check it out and look at. And so not only when we work with clients so every every con like every garden that we build starts with a consultation somebody will give us a call um they'll visit us on our website they'll send me a dm on instagram and they'll listen to the podcast and the details at the end yes <laughs> <laughs> they they will and we'll start a conversation because that's really what a garden should be right it should be a conversation and so i try to to design gardens for people that they are going to love and be able to maintain so i'm not gonna so like our showcase garden is 164 square feet of raised bed space that's a lot I wouldn't maybe recommend that to somebody who has very minimal garden experience unless they're also probably going to have some coaching sessions with me afterwards so that they can feel really confident in what they're doing. And I know that this is an audio podcast, but I will say when this does go live um, to the public, I will throw photos up on 
um, Instagram at the best seats because you definitely should see this. Um, I definitely don't want to encourage having a line of cars just driving by your house waving, <laughs> but you should see this because it's pretty, it's very, very pretty. So there will be photos up when this episode goes live. Thank you. Yes. So we, like I said, so every, every garden starts with a conversation and my goal is to build a space that you absolutely love being in, that you love spending that time in. Um, but I also want to set you up for success. So if you have minimal experience, I'm not going to say, hey, I think we should probably go like 12 varieties of tomatoes and then throw in, you know, some cauliflower and some broccoli, which usually take a long time to produce and then add on all these other parts. I'm going to really work with you to understand your flavor preferences and also your growing experience so that what you grow is going to be exactly what you want. It's going to be things that you're going to get excited about growing and in, in eating, more importantly. Um, but it's going to be something that you actually want. Uh, so many, so often we kind of tend to, to find things that are only, right, that are only available. So sometimes going to a nursery, you're only going to find three or four varieties of something. And so we tend to lose excitement when we don't kind of get to find what we want. So my goal is always to kind of go above and beyond and provide things that people get really excited about and want to grow and want to eat and that fit their flavor and lifestyle profile. So again, if you don't have a huge amount of time, then I want to figure out a way for you to get excited to get in the garden, bring your kids into the garden, you know, bring your, your partner into the garden um, so that you can also do it together. Speaking to the culinary side of things, um, there's a couple of restaurants that I can think of kind of top of my head that have kind of chef's gardens. Um, obviously, probably the most well-known in the area and arguably the most beautiful is down at Montage with Chef Benjamin Martinick. But there's a lot of chefs that have them. There's a lot of restaurants that have them. Not every restaurant has the space per se for it, but obviously it's a huge upsell. And I can't really think of any chef that would be opposed to being able to maybe take kind of locally sourced to an entire new level. Mm-hmm. How does the process differ working with chefs and kind of working with their spaces and their culinary needs? So I actually really love those spaces, those space challenges the most, because again, they usually are also in locations where there's a lot of other factors involved in determining where the garden is actually going to thrive. So even in my own showcase garden right now, because the sun is lower this season, you can start to see that things are in a little bit of shade even right now. Um, so knowing this, knowing where the sun is, knowing what kind of other obstacles might be involved, water access is a huge factor that we talk to um, and, and work, have to work through with, with commercial clients. But that whole process is kind of similar. So I have, you know, if you're a chef and, and you're interested in doing something like this, we kind of fit all sorts of budgets, especially right now during all of this. I know how important it is to be able to find ways to get excited about your work to create a new experience for customers when we're, you know, able to go back closer to what's normal, um, to help lower food costs, to help do all of that, to help create really an amazing space for everybody, not only for your team, but also for your guests. Um, so it's, it starts similarly, you get in touch with me and we talk about what your, you know, what your dream garden looks like. And then we work backwards on how to make it happen. So we've had a couple of people of chefs reach out to us right now and, and, you know, I've talked them through like, okay, so we really only, if you want wood beds, we really only build with redwood. And the reason being is because, yes, there's a higher upfront cost, but they're going to last you 10 to 15 years. I don't want to come back in three years to have to fix your garden beds because that's just a letdown for everybody, right? I want to create spaces that are going to be 
amazing for a long period of time and that you're just going to have be able to utilize however you need to. So we start there and then we, we, again, same kind of thing. We do a lot of meetings where we start talking about the growing season. So we're setting up meetings right now with chefs talking about what do you want to grow in the next, you know, in spring. And it's funny to start doing it now because not everybody is, you know, thinking quite that far ahead. But with growing, you know, I have to start putting tomato seeds in the ground in the next week or two. Mm -hmm. I have to start putting other, you know, warm season vegetables into the, into starting, starting them from seed in the next few weeks so that we can have stuff that's going to start producing. And so that whole experience is so much fun. That gets me so excited. Um, And I think it just, it's, it's a, it's an, it's, it's a unique experience because I don't know that all chefs get to have that right. So, often the experience is either going directly to a farmer, which is awesome and getting to support them. Or sometimes it's just looking at what is available from your primary vendor and working your menu backwards. We like to approach it from a, what would your dream menu look like? And let's figure out how to make those parts and pieces happen for you. And if it can't, then we'll figure out, you know, a substitution, but it's really an opportunity for chefs to, explore their creativity in a way that they maybe haven't been able to before. One of the things that you mentioned kind of right at the start of the recording is your fascination. And, and it's one of the things that I love about your borderline obsession with the heirloom and the history of it. Seed saving. Um, anybody who's a fan of food at all has probably watched chef's table on Netflix. This is something I know chef Sean Brock is intensely passionate about and is kind of spearheading the revival of you know, seed saving and bringing back some of these borderline extinct um, you know, branches of different vegetables. How did that aspect come around to you and where are you sourcing some of these things? I mean, you're talking about products and varieties and varietals that are pretty damn hard to find. Mm-hmm. So where did the historical kind of aspect come into it? And then how are you sourcing these things to deliver them to chefs and, you know, non-culinary clientele? So right now, uh, so the history part of it came just from my love of history. And again, kind of my obsession in, in learning about where we have kind of come, especially in like the last 30, 40, 50 years in food production, because even 50 years ago, having a garden was really common. And so we have had such a rapid change in, in how we've eaten. We also can see that that's also made a huge change in, in our overall health as, as, as humans particularly in America, and what that looks like. So I love this idea of going back and telling telling stories, right, retelling stories. I think that's one of the, you know, key fundamental parts about being a chef is you're, t- you're a storyteller through food. And you don't always get to write what that story looks like for your guests, but you're a huge you know, factor, you're, you're a starring role in, in what those memories look like. And so because so much of my childhood was based in memories on my grandparents' farm, I knew that I wanted to start bringing this back. When I first even started talking to a couple of people about what I did at the very beginning in, in you know, six months ago when I started this, people would be like, oh, so you grow a lot of air, you grow a lot of tomatoes. <laughs> and I'd laugh and I'd be like, well, like, God damn it. Yes, no. <laughs> I do because I love tomatoes. And if you don't, I'm sorry. But I was like, no, heirlooms are just varieties that are at least 50 years old. And so they have this historical context. And again, they're things that you can't, most of them, you can't buy in a grocery store. For a large part of it, you can't even buy some of these at a you know, at a farmer's market anymore Yeah, because they are still somewhat hard to find. So a lot of my work prior to this was 
finding companies that finding seed companies that specialize in heirlooms and then also supporting the ones who are doing more seed saving. So there's like the seed savers exchange. There's Johnny's seeds that's on the East coast. Um, San Diego seed company, who's actually down in San Diego, they are reviving a lot of heirlooms and they are amazing because I like, I love to, to patronize them because they have, um, they're growing seeds and their seed, they're saving seeds from things that have grown in our climate. So these seeds start to understand our weather a little bit more. So they have a more predictable harvesting and, and growing experience in similar weather and climate. Um, but it's really been, there's a lot of research that happens on my end. I absolutely love connecting with people throughout the, throughout the country, growers throughout the country and, and, you know, home gardeners, I should say like home growers and asking, you know, can we exchange some seeds? Most gardeners are incredibly generous, right? They're similar to chefs. They're like, of course, we're going to feed you. Of course, we're going to share our <laughs> seeds with you. Um, I think as you, as you, as you came over today, um, you can even see, I have a bunch of seeds sitting here. These are all seeds that I have harvested myself from our plants and so these are things that every now and again i'll reach out to somebody and I'll be like oh would you like some of these so we have uh some nasturtiums some uh calendula that i'm sending out to some other gardeners and they're gonna you know they're gonna be here in california they're gonna go to texas they're gonna go out to maryland um and so that's also one way that that we keep these varieties alive um i know sean brock has been doing a lot of work of like you said preserving these varieties of beans and things that have just been lost and, and the recipes and the flavor profiles. So I also am an avid like historic cookbook reader. Like I love the ones with all the, you know, notes and the margins and stuff like that. I love analyzing and looking at what those recipes are and trying to figure out, you know, like what could we substitute? Cause a lot of times now so many people turn away from those recipes mm -hmm. because the ingredients aren't easy to find or they use different terminology or food, you know, techniques than what we're used to. And so for me, I am trying to help people really kind of discover that there is a cost, you know, there's that opportunity cost to convenience that we have kind of sacrificed so much flavor, so much excitement, so many amazing memories in the terms of convenience to move on to the next thing. And for me, it's kind of like, isn't the garden the next best thing? right? Like isn't being able to enjoy that and, and kind of almost it's this appreciation of, of slowing down a little bit to speed up, to get to something that you actually really love and enjoy. One of the biggest factors that I can think of off the top of my head, at least kind of like my friend group and then selfishly my own current living situation is, you know, there's not a lot of inventory out there right now, as far as homes, as far as people moving into homes, obviously a lot of people are struggling financially. Um, I live in apartment. I know a lot of other people do with limited outdoor space, is there still opportunity to kind of grow in those limited spaces where you're dealing with, you know, X amount of hours of direct sunlight per day and things like that? Absolutely. And that's one of the things, too, that I wanted to start helping people with in this whole process as well. Um, so one of the things we came up with, obviously, you know, most people when they think of California, they're like, oh, yeah, you always eat fresh and you eat green and everything. So we created a salad bowl for people and we have a couple of different sizes. They're great because they're a Again, greens are a wonderful intro into gardening. You can grow uh, quite a quite a huge variety of them in a small space, and they're forgiving and they're easy to read. Like greens are super easy to start from seed. You don't need a lot of experience or technique in order to help that. Greens are something that don't need a huge. You know, they don't need eight plus hours of sunlight like some plants do. 
Um, so there's always opportunities and ways that you can grow in small spaces and have success. So right now, even even with uh, our chef's gardens that we design, we just we just worked with a client who <laughs> they didn't really ask for it, but we actually said, hey, do you know that you could actually increase your growing space by making a couple of changes to your current setup and growing vertically? And they were like, really? And I was like, yeah, if you did this, this, and this, you could add almost 100 square feet of growing space. And they just looked at me and they were like, what? It's 100 <laughs> square feet anywhere in, you know, a metro area is huge, much less than a commercial space. Yeah. You're like, 100 square feet of growing space? Like, what? And and so I said, you you know, you've told me you really love to grow herbs and you really love to grow greens and things like that. So those are all shallow root vegetables. We don't need a, an 18-inch bed to grow them to have success. And so, again, it's going back to that education piece and just having somebody look at your space with a fresh eye. And so I love the challenge of being able to do that for clients and really look at what they have available and go, all right, this is what you could do. Or, you know, look at their budget and say, this is the best that you'd be able to do to set you up for a long-term success. You mentioned that you've only been doing it a handful of months and your energy is so infectious, as I'm sure everybody listening can understand. And I, I absolutely love the entire concept and the setup, everything else. What challenges has doing all this during COVID presented where maybe somebody isn't comfortable meeting in person? I mean, have you had to do like Zoom consultations and try to get an idea of space? I mean, what was the difficulties of trying to get this going? Because it's such an intimate process. Mm -hmm. Growing your own food is an intimate process. What are some of the challenges you face getting off the ground? No oh. pun intended. <laughs> I love it. Uh, so definitely, we've done a lot of we've we've actually done a lot of Zoom consultations with individuals, and most of the time, those have just been kind of preliminary conversations. But our team, you know, when we go out and we do our install, or we do a site. We we unfortunately we really do need to kind of go to somebody's house to do a final site install mm-hmm. for something like the caliber of where we're really installing beds and stuff. But we, you know, we mask up and we, we t- tell you when we're coming so you can keep your distance and things like that. Um, so in terms of the install, that's kind of a, a, a streamlined process that I, I'm really excited that we've kind of, ma- I don't want to say master, but we've really kind of, of fine-tuned so that everything that we do is really, like we specialize in turnkey gardens. So we're not going to go drop off a whole bunch of lumber with, you know, a plan for you to have to try to figure out how to do this. We're going to come and we're going to do it all. We're going to put the soil in, we're going to plant the plant it. Um, but we have figured out a way to make sure that our clients are also having so much success. So when I, when you do a garden, I'm going to create a planting plan for you. So you're going to know exactly what is where, and I'm going to talk you through what that what it's like to grow that how much water it needs does it need extra food what's that planting schedule all of that and our clients have just loved this um so we've really found a way to help people particularly in covid so that there isn't that extra like stress of that whole you know having somebody in my house or 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 how do i get excited about this have them be equally as happy with the end result um and i think even with the virtual calls, it's been great because, again, people can can tell me about what their space looks like. They can kind of walk me through their gardens on their phone or on their iPads or on their laptops, um, or they send me pictures, and we just start talking through it. And so everything starts, you know, like I'll sketch everything out for clients and, and have them say, like, this is what it is. We prepare fully detailed estimates about what the parts are and how much things are going to cost and stuff like that. So we have really tried to make sure that the process is as easy as possible and that for our clients, they get to enjoy the absolute best part, which is essentially 
when we're done, they can come out and bring a bowl and a, and a pair of scissors and start harvesting. What's it like to know that at some point in the future, you're going to be able to eat at a restaurant here somewhere in Southern California, or maybe somewhere else, Texas, Maryland, like you mentioned, and what you're eating is something that that person grew because of the knowledge you gave them? I, that is like a mind blowing moment, honestly. Um, I think it would just, and I mean, that con, like that idea just fills my heart with joy. Like that's the whole purpose and, and, and why I want to be able to do this is because I think gardens bring a sense of joy that we've kind of lost as well. And to, to have somebody, to be able to enjoy something that somebody like grew in their garden because of that, I, I just, I mean, huge smile through my mask right now, <laughs> just like mind blown, super excited. And, and even now I still get, you know, I get emails every week from clients being like, look at what I grew. Oh my God. I made soup the other night and, and I followed your suggestion to put these greens in and it was amazing. Or, you know, I had a client who was telling me about a chicken soup that they make with dill. And so they're like, we have to have fresh dill in our garden. I was like, absolutely dills, you know, in season right now, this is perfect. And you know, she wanted to come and drop it off at my house because she was like, I want you to be able to enjoy <laughs> what awesome. I've made. And I think that is just, to me, that is the epitome of why I do what I do, right? So for a doctor, it's it's being able to save a life or to help improve the quality of life for a patient. For me, as a, a you know an edible gardener, that is the epitome of, of having somebody make a really amazing life choice to just enjoy what they're growing. So your showcase garden here is everything that's growing essentially just kind of for you here at home to kind of go through or do you ever like do you grow anything for chefs that maybe run like pop-ups or anything like that or is it also just kind of showing off a little bit like yeah you can grow this like when I showed up and you have sorrel growing up at the front like I haven't seen sorrel coming out I know there's some wild sorrel in California places but like I haven't seen somebody growing sorrel in a while. So it's, it's kind of all of those pieces. So we meant it to be a showcase garden. So obviously it was a physical place that, that, that any client could come to and actually see, okay, wow, look at how this is. No, it's a lot cooler than a LinkedIn page. I'll tell you that. It's a lot cooler <laughs> right? than that. Um, and I, I mean, that's part of like, like, so, so for everyone here, the table that, that, Crawford and I are sitting at is this really big it's like a nine foot table um, and it's in our garden and it's meant to be here so that hopefully when people can come over that again it's that same idea like somebody can come over for Saturday or Sunday dinner and we can talk through um, it's a working table my husband and I frequently work during COVID out here um, but it's a chance for us to talk with our neighbors it is a chance for us to kind of for me to show off when I'm growing but it is also an educational garden so I'm an avid garden journaler, so everything that we're growing is documented in my garden journal, when it was planted, how it's growing, I, I update the notes. So again, so like you said, so I like to find these, you know, unique varieties that people aren't as accustomed to, and I like to log, okay, yeah, this is the sun that it's getting, this is, you know, all these different parts and pieces, so that I can also try to recreate that best experience for clients moving forward. And yeah, we would definitely grow things here for, for small chef, for pop-ups and different things if they were interested. Um, but it's, it's, it's kind of a all around. So we eat a lot of what's in here. We also, um, I've invited, you know, anyone in my neighborhood, they are more than welcome to come over with a bowl or with a basket and some scissors and, and, and harvest things that they need. So I did the same thing at, 
Thanksgiving and at Christmas because we had a bountiful amount of herbs. And I said, if anyone needs that last minute sage or rosemary that you forgot to pick up at the grocery store, please come over, have some. So note to self, get on Zillow after we're done recording. (laughs) Absolutely. You'd be an amazing neighbor to have. I'd love you here. I love that. Uh, Well, actually, I don't want to take up too much more of your time. You obviously are a very busy person. And Lord knows your dogs want you back as bad as I, and I want to pet them too. Um, If people want to get in touch with you, set up consultation, follow you on social media, where are all the places that they can do that? Absolutely. So I'm more active on Instagram. You can follow me at heirloom potager. That's P-O-T-A-G-E-R or potager. That's what my husband likes to tease me about. (laughs) Um, And my website is heirloompotager.com as well. So you can, from there you can set up a consultation. You can send me an email um, or send me a DM through Instagram. I love to connect with people. Just even tag me, um, tag us in what you're growing, all of that. I, I love the community that we're growing on Instagram because it's a, it's a great way to get people excited again about growing things, but also ask different questions, share about, you know, what is or isn't working because California is also notorious for having microclimates. So even, you know, what's growing well in Irvine might not be growing well here for me in Santa Ana, which is also going to be completely different than what somebody might be growing in Huntington beach. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I love it. I, I love what you're doing. I love the path you're taking and, as we start to hopefully claw our way out of this and restaurants survive the past year at this damn point, um, you'll have more chefs reaching out to you to kind of set up those small gardens and, and growing local, take that kind of source local to a whole new level. So Ashley, thank you so, so much for the time welcoming me into your garden and letting me uh, pet your dogs. Absolutely. Anytime. <laughs> All right. Thank you thank so much. You. Oh, man. Thank you to Ashley for the time, for allowing me to pet the dogs, to hang outside at her beautiful showcase garden. We did record that episode socially distanced. Uh, We were also masked up, so no need to fret about that. If you're a chef listening to this and you've got a restaurant and you don't think you have space for a chef's garden, you probably do. She will work with you. If you're at home listening to this, you've got space. I promise you, she will work with you. If you're listening to this while you're in your car, um, you probably don't have space, but fuck it, reach out there anyway. It could be really cool to see what she does with a car. So screw it. Um, I'm so grateful to Ashley for the time. I hope you enjoyed the episode. As always, please leave a rating and a review. Go to thebestseats.com for more. You can follow me on Instagram at thebestseats. Um, if you see me around, if you live in Orange County, feel free to say hi. Now that restaurants are starting to open back up, I'll be going out a little bit to try and support some friends where I can. <sighs> but if not, stay home, stay safe, and I will see you soon. Take care. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Rafa McCarthy, founder and owner of The Best Seats. It is recorded in Aliso Viejo, California. It is subsidized through generous donations through patreon.com slash the best seats. The following are names that have subscribed at the highest tier, aka norm status, and thus allow me to produce the show each and every episode. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Here are the supporters. Alexander Cook, Katie Cassie, Eric Lutz, Serena Warino, Cheryl McCarthy. Thank you for your support.